Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, the show dedicated to the private investor, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. We want to show you how to cross the divide from residential investing over to commercial property investing. Through interviews, tips and lessons learned, we share experiences of investing and give you the inspiration, knowledge and confidence to enjoy this great cash flowing strategy. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast. I'm going to go through a number of questions about CMO today, so you really get a good insight into my thinking on this excellent strategy. I'm going to cover some of the basics. I'm going to cover what is it? What is a CMO? What sort of form does it take? Who are the typical customers actually going to take space in these? And what are the benefits they're looking for? Why would they even bother? And how they might use the space. So that kind of defines what the space is, what it looks like, what the typical customer is, but also I'm then going to go into what are the benefits for us as investors? Why am I so excited about this strategy? And then at the end, I'm going to talk a little bit about some exciting developments to our offer at CPI to help you identify potential CMO properties, work through the acquisition process and complete the design and redevelopment. And of course, finally operating these great cash flowing assets. So, Let's start out with a reminder of what it is and why it's such a good strategy. Cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. They're end of the lesson. (laughs) There's such a good strategy for developing cash flow. When I used to do residential, one of the things I was trying to aspire to was how do I grow my cash flow without necessarily just continually adding residential, residential, residential? How can I actually affect the cash flow? And that's really important about CMO. You have the ability to affect the income, which has a knock-on effect because that will affect the value. So if you can um, change the output, optimise the rent, you're actually affecting the value of the property. Whereas normally with residential, yeah, okay, an increased rent is going to have and benefit to you there and then about cash flow, but it doesn't affect the value. Now, there are some strategies, maybe like HMO, that, that does start having an effect on the overall value of the property. But nevertheless, in CMO, it's a little bit more clear cut. And of course, there are multiple occupants under one roof, which means that you don't have multiple boilers and multiple different locations to go and maintain and look after. They're all in the same place. And another really important benefit for this strategy, certainly in the current climate, is that there's no residential customers. There's no residential customer or tenant rules. We still have compliance, of course, but the government is not targeting commercial landlords with quite the same intent 
as they are with residential landlords. And that's not just in terms of compliance, but in terms of tax and the ability to access these deals, the in and out tax, all the various different things that they're trying to put on landlords for whatever reasons that are making residential become more and more difficult. And of course, CMO can be a very creative strategy, which can help exercise those juices in your business brain. So if you feel that you would like to explore more business and you maybe don't have your own business right now, but you want to try and get into a world of business where you can be more creative, CMOs is definitely a strategy that can do that. Oh, and did I mention cash flow? Yes, that's a good reason for getting into this strategy. Now, my personal journey with this started back in 2004 when we swapped out some residential units for a commercial multi-let property. Now, I'd love to say that was exactly what we were planning on doing, but it's just a bit of fortune in there, a bit of, yes, we set out on the objective of getting some more cash-flowing assets, but I didn't know when I started that that CMO was going to be the one. I looked at lots of different options. I tried through networking to meet different people and get in the swim, as it were. And eventually, after about a couple of years, we managed to land ourselves with this commercial property that had about, I think it was about 30 units in this building, which sounds um, sounds quite a lot. But actually, that some of those rooms are only 140 square feet up to maybe just under 1,000 square feet. So a bit of a mix. And it was being run as a multi-let building, but on a managed basis. There was no real service element. The customers came in, they got their keys, they got a rent at the end of every month and a service charge on top of that. That's how that that building was operated. And over the next few years, we changed and evolved that offer. We changed the physical layout of the building, improved it, optimised it, added what I didn't realise at the time, lots of value. What we were doing was concentrating on the cash flow, which we managed to increase quite substantially. In fact, we managed to triple the cash flow. What I didn't realise was that we were effectively tripping, tripling the value of the property. Now, that isn't always the equation, but that's how it worked in this scenario. So that made me realise that it wasn't about the market economics, what was going on next door. It was about us, that building, and how creative we were being and affecting the rent. So those were some of the the bits that we learned during the process. And and I have to say, it took me time to work that out. And it was around about 2009 that we went and bought the next one and started the process and the journey we've been on ever since. Now, around about 2019, I started publishing a few articles on LinkedIn and things about CMO. And it's come up in conversation recently, you know, who invented CMO? And It's been around for thousands of years, right? Even back in Roman times, if you think about it, there would have been a forum, somebody probably owned part of it, and they were multi-letting various different parts. That, that, you know, it's not a new concept, right? But I've just given it a name. I thought I'm going to call this CMO because it's a name that residential investors, private investors can easily grasp straight away. It's, it's, It's a sidestep from HMO the CMO or the HMO for the commercial world. And it just makes it more accessible for those of us who are seeking to expand our investing strategies away from those purely residential investments. The typical investment that is accessible for those who are newer to the industry and seeking out a project with some good upside is not new build, at least I don't think it is, but that of taking on a building that was originally designed for a single occupant. 
So if you think about it, it's probably not too far away from you are some larger commercial buildings that are maybe not used right now, particularly in office space or maybe an office and industrial mix. And the client or the single company that was in there has now moved on. They maybe went bust. They've maybe gone to different premises, rearranged where they're doing their manufacturing now, whatever the reason. But that building had a specific client in mind and now it's redundant. So it's our job as investors to work out what changes we can make to that building to suit a modern use. And typically that involves splitting the property into smaller units because these larger occupants are not, it's a small, narrow target market, isn't it? And if you can subdivide it into smaller, multiple different sizes, not just all the one size, different sizes of unit, you can reach more market. And it's worth pointing out that the alternative approach to becoming involved in CMO investment is to find an already operating CMO and improving the offer, whether that be by those physical changes, marketing improvements, creating a stronger P&L by looking at um, suppliers and customers, or just improving the product offer. So my point is that CMO for us certainly has been redeveloping existing buildings. You could develop new, of course you could, and there's some in the industry that do that, but that is not really a sphere that we've got into. Um, maybe one day we've done extensions and things. I just find that lower entry point means that if there is a downside, we have the ability to soften that because we've bought in at the right price. Whereas if you build new, you are immediately building at a higher price. And your only option is a high offer because if you start going for a lower value offer, how are you going to cover the payments or the capital cost? Just a side. Anyway, let's get into some more details here. What? What is a CMO? Well, my definition would be it's many customers under one roof or at least on one site. One or two boilers and toilets, not dozens, not lots of different locations. Communal parts to the building, which adds value to all. So this is important. Effectively, some of the less productive space from a landlord's perspective sorry, can be rented out multiple times. So if you have a communal um, entrance or a communal reception, or perhaps a breakout space near a tea point, toilets, that sort of thing. It's often difficult to generate an income from that, but because it's there for everybody to use, it adds value to everybody else's offer. So you can increase the income from the other surrounding parts of the building. That's a pretty basic way of covering it. But what it's saying is that by taking those less used areas or even some well-used areas and making them communal for everybody else to use, it can affect the rent of all the other areas. And the communal service element, so this is because they're all in one property, it could be just communal areas that there's a service cost that you share out with the customers and each individual customer actually deals with their own um, electric meter, water costs and all those sorts of things and that you have a separate service charge just for the communal areas or you might have a situation where there is a service charge for the whole building that is then shared out amongst all the clients, which we do in some properties, but our preference is we take on all of that and put it out as a serviced offer to all our customers. So yes, we're taking some risk on the utilities, but there are ways to factor that into your pricing, of course. So basically, Site with multiple clients, some communal areas that can add value for everybody that's shared, 
and a common service element, whether that is directly redeemed through the rental or a separate service charge. Those are really the definitions for me. Who could use this, though, means that we start talking about other sectors. So it could be office, it could be leisure, retail, industrial, storage, or mixed. So let me just tell you about our typical customer. <laughs> so I'm going to start by saying there is no typical customer. We have, um, I'm just going to go through a list here, right? So we have some international, multinational companies from Silicon Valley. We've got tattoo artists with some industrial clients, some residential storage, some students that are using our spaces. We have corporate employees who are working near a home. So the corporation is paying for it, but basically they're using our environment to um, get out of the house and work more closely to, ho to home. But from the employer's point of view, they're happy with that because it means it ticks the box on employees' welfare. We've got beauty salons, psychiatrists, call centres, joiners, IFAs, mortgage brokers, civil engineers, recruitments, um, subsea businesses, signage companies, software, um, back offices for dentists, government agencies, shipping companies, you name it all sorts of things. So they're all different. And that target market, if you go from the point of view of business type, it's actually really difficult to pin down. What I would say is there's a common need. That's what our target is. So from point of view of the customer, why are some of our customers coming to us or all of our customers coming to us? There obviously will be multiple factors, but there's a common need. And that common need is based around flexibility. So the ability to maybe change their space size or even the whole offer within a reasonable period of time, not taking on a big long lease. An all-inclusive bill, so they know they're, they've got cost predictability, they know what their costs are going to be. The mixture of space, so some people will take office and storage. The utilities and building services are all looked after by others, i.e. us. There's a chance to interact with other human beings. Yes, some people want to do that. They like to be in a building where they can meet other business owners or other humans that are out doing working for a, for a living. And they have actually the ability to talk to someone who isn't in the family or isn't the pet. <laughs> and of course, some of the customers really are looking for that communal breakout space because the costs are less. Their alternative is take a lease with a building or a space in a building where they're going to be paying a square foot rate for the toilets, for any communal areas, for a reception and all those different things. But in our buildings, that's all shared. So the cost overall can come down for the customer. So how are they using our spaces? Well, the different types of space are from business lounge membership, meeting room hire by the day, by the hour, by the month private one-person spaces up to 15, 20, 30-person spaces, Contain container storage for residential or business users up to industrial spaces, and large private offices, studios, workshops. It's a whole gambit. Lots of different types of uses there. And some CMO properties may just be industrial. Some may just be retail. Some may be just office. I'm finding, we're finding, that a blended approach provides a bit more stickiness. And it's a bit more unique, the ability to have storage and an office space rather than take an industrial unit. The ability to have a small office space with some good internet access and access to maybe food and beverage, 
for a meeting and greeting uh, client in a business lounge. All these all these uh, combinations make you a little bit more unique. So what about us as investors? Well, as I mentioned earlier on, income levels tend to be higher. And, and this is against other commercial assets. But in terms of residential, clearly there's there can be some cash flow improvements. Some investors look at commercial because of the SAS. They have a pension, and I know it's specific to the UK, but it might be that in other parts of the world, wherever you're listening, you may have something similar to this. It allows you to invest in commercial property through your pension. And by using a CMO model, just briefly going into this, you would be able to invest in the commercial property, perhaps within your SAS or your pension, but operate it outside of that, which allows you to maybe generate an income outside of your pension with pension investment. Another reason for investors looking at CMOs is voids are less dramatic. So if you have a single let, we had a single let industrial building, okay? The rental income on that was 30 grand a year. Fine, thank you very much. After about two years, the client handed in their notice at break clause. Hmm, not so good. And it goes from producing £30,000 to costing ten or £12,000 because the same team we have to pay business rates. So what we did um, was we actually took the dilapidations, which I'll go into another podcast, but the dilapidations cost, subdivided the unit into 10 units, and now we're always at least nine units out of 10 are let. At the moment, I know it's 100% occupied. But when one of them moves out, it's less dramatic. So as the CMO is a multi-let industrial building, if one tenant moves out, it doesn't have as much impact. We still make money, good money. But it's the ability to um, flex that space too so that when industrial clients come in, they could maybe have a little bit of office space. They could maybe have a bit of storage or maybe have um, two units. So it's thinking that into your design. But CMOs should, if they're done right, allow you to give your customers that option. And, and as I said earlier on, why for investors, you can really get your creative juices going, which is exactly what I was just talking about. The ability to factor in as you're designing out these spaces, um, combinations of uses and combinations of units, which all the time adds value. The, now, I appreciate if you want to have a very passive life in commercial, this may not be a strategy that suits you in terms of all the flexibility. But there is two stages to being active. The first stage is when you buy the building and develop it out, you're being active right there. Then you might have a more passive income, your approach to the tenants and the clients that move in. Or you might decide to be active throughout the operations of the property as well, because there's a higher margin there. That's up to you. It works both ways. A brilliant part of CMOs for me is using licenses and not leases because it allows us to optimize income as we go through a project. Using leases means you're a bit more stuck to um, the pricing from the word go. There are mechanisms in there to improve it, but not quite as much as licenses. And also licenses allow you to flex with the market. It allows you to attract customers, especially in downtimes. Customers that want certainty but not 10 years of certainty because they don't know where they're going to be in five minutes, let alone 10 years. So there's a, it's kind of, it's a bit odd, really. Um, some people love leases because when there's a downturn, they feel, well, look, the tenant's still got to pay me. Uh, it doesn't matter. Well, if they go bust, it matters. Whereas a license is a bit more flexible. And when 
there is a downturn, which, and I'm reflecting back in 2008-9. I'm not saying there's one coming now, but certainly back then, when there was that downturn, yes, people sat still for a bit and didn't choose what they were going to do. They sat on their hands. But when they did start deciding in terms of businesses, they started taking, when they could, more flexible arrangements to allow them to grow out of the recession that came along. Licenses are really good for that. And the flip side for us, so that means you can get occupancy during those downturns, but the flip side for us as investors is it allows us to optimise income much quicker. There are additional income streams in this too. And this is really the last one I wanted to cover on why for investors. We've had over 20 invest, uh, income streams sorry, over the years from our CMO properties. The latest being EV charging. We put some EV charge points in one of our buildings. Obviously, electric pricing's going wherever, but we're able to just change that charging to suit whatever the current prices were being charged. And it's just a little indis- uh, income stream that we can add, but also it, it helps with the whole thing, of course, um, of being attractive for clients because you've got EV charging there too. But that's just one example. There are other things to do with um, solar energy, but in terms of customers paying, there's meeting rooms, business lounge memberships, storage, stuff you can do from reception, that lots and lots of income streams. At the end of the day, the rent is the most important one, but there are many different ways you can generate income from multi-let buildings. Because if you think about it, you've got a captive audience. There's 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, depends how big your building is, clients there. The more scale you have, the more income streams you can add. Because these are services that businesses want. If you think about it, it's one of those things about how do you grow your business, isn't it? You either have to go and acquire new customers, which can be very expensive, or perhaps sell something to your existing customers. Well, what if you've got 20, 30 customers sitting there in your building? Maybe there's some things that you could help them with, some problems they have. So from an investor's point of view, it's an awesome strategy. I love this strategy. We're, We're continuing to look for these types of buildings and to grow our business based on this strategy type. I just want to reiterate, though, you don't have to go for the full-on, the full Buna serviced option. You could go for a more managed property. We have one of ours that's got customers in who all have a service charge. It's very mundane. They're there for two or three or five-year leases. It can work and with that contract type as well. So let me jump on to why or how, sorry, we can help you with what we're doing at CPI. We've been working up some great new support packages for those of you who'd like to work on this strategy in particular. In the summer, we ran a successful two-day CMO event. One of the learnings for us was that we needed a third day to really cover everything because there's so much content. The result is that in November, we'll be running a brand new event starting on Friday the 25th, running through to the Sunday afternoon. This will basically be a three-day immersive experience with at least two CMO site visits and a behind-the-scenes access to all areas. We're going to be focusing specifically on the CMO strategy and be going through every stage, from the initial researching of an area to identifying a building, doing your market research, buying, designing, refurbishing, and, of course, operating a successful cash-flowing CMO all of your own. Over the last few years, we've helped a number of residential investors move over to CMO and the wider commercial market, and it's been great fun, and we've learned lots during this process. This is now being distilled into this three-day event. If you're ready, or even nearly ready, to step over to CMO, then this programme will give you a full insight into how it all works and what it'll take to add this strategy to your portfolio. 
Numbers will be limited, so make sure you jump onto the show notes, pick up that link and go and get your space reserved right now. I'd love to see you there and to spend some time with you sharing our CMO experiences. You will definitely find yourself getting in the swim with confidence. Hi there, I hope you're enjoying the content delivered on the CPI podcast. Even though it's free to listen to, it actually takes quite a bit of time and financial commitment to deliver each and every episode. Did you know that by leaving a positive written review, you, yes, you will have a direct impact on the visibility of the podcast. And that's really important because by reaching a wider audience, it helps our team to continually improve the overall content that we deliver to you week after week. For some of you, leaving a review will be second nature, but for others, it might be your first one. Open your podcast app, pick the CPI podcast and search for previous reviews. And on iTunes in particular, click to look at all of the reviews and then you'll see an option to leave a written review. Go on, it'll only take two minutes and it'll really make our day. And we genuinely read every single one of them.